Good morning, Christ City. Our text for today is John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. That is, it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is it that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Christ City, let's pray. O oh Lord, purify our hearts this morning that we may be worthy to become your dwelling place. Let us never fail to find room for you, but come, abide in us, that we also may abide in you, who are born into the world for us, you, you who live and reign, King of kings, Lord of lords, now and forevermore, to you be praise and glory. Amen. There was this dilemma in my life that plagued me for many years. And this dilemma is best expressed by this, this question, is this all that there is? As we close 2020, this wonderful year, this wonderful year, this question might be bothering you as well. Like some of you, I grew up in a church. And as I followed, or at least I tried to follow what I thought were all the rules, the seemingly endless commands, this question lurked at my subconscious. Is this all that there is? There has to be something more than just this. So as I attempted to, to fast, as I churned through chapter and chapter, a chapter of my Bible reading program, as I stared off into space having ADHD squirrel moments trying to pray, oh, as I listened to podcast after podcast, learning, trying to fill my head with good theology, thinking that maybe, maybe this will solve this internal angst that I have. And yes, even going overseas, thinking that somehow obedience as a missionary would be the ointment that, that would soothe this wound that I had. Deep down, this question still remained. Why do I struggle? Why does God feel so far away when I know so much? <laughs> Why does spiritual depth still feel unattainable when I have sacrificed so much in his name? Is this all that there is? The nagging still continues. And, and because, you know, I would read of superheroes of Christianity, you know, faithful men and women, you'd hear there and read their stories, robust lives of spirituality. And I would look at these people and I would marvel. Oh, I would look at their intimacy and I would go, Lord, I want that. People rich in prayer, deep in discipline. Why was it that God was on such a low volume in my life and theirs it was on like plus 10? People of Christ City. Even though I believed in Jesus, and I called myself a Christian at the time. I knew that there was something more to my life as a, as a believer. I could sense this, a spiritual life, a vibrancy, a connectedness to a spiritual reality outside of myself. I felt like a fraud. 
I was left wondering, is this all that there is? There has to be something more. I wanted, I longed for, I thirsted for, I craved, I hungered for an intimacy with God. Christ City, I know that I am not alone. I know that, that either whether you're curious, you've just kind of dropped onto this video by accident, or you're exploring and new to Christianity, or whether you're like me, you've been in the saddle for quite some time. And let me tell you, I've been in the saddle a lot longer than a lot of you. I speak of this this morning because I know some of you are struggling with this same question. Now, I don't need to articulate how, you know, very deeply to tell you that COVID has stripped away all of our self-defense mechanisms, all of the surface things in our lives that distract us from confronting this question. You know, we stare into the void of our Netflix superheroes, holding our collective breath, waiting for a vaccine, wondering if this is all that there is. What I was longing for, what COVID exposes is our collective desire to know more, to experience more. And this thing is an intimacy with God, and it's best expressed in our text here in John chapter 15, and is described as being connected to a vine, an intimacy that does not depend on having family home at Christmas. It, it is a connectedness to a power that is not dependent on whether we meet physically as a church or not. When we lament, when we cry, is this all that there is? We long to abide in Christ. We long for the life and vitality of being connected to Jesus as the vine. So this morning, I would like to introduce to us one of the great mysteries of the faith. I would like to scratch the surface this morning on something glorious, something amazing, something, dare I say, mystical, yet practical and very foundational to the very existence that we have as believers in Jesus Christ. This morning, I would like to introduce you to the vineyard in John chapter 15. And in doing so, I would like to discuss three things. The first is abiding in Christ. Point number two is what, why do we have problems in abiding? And, and the third one is how then do we abide? First thing, what is abiding? Jesus here in John 15 places into the story here of a typical ancient agrarian metaphor of the vineyard. Now, this image of the vineyard was used across the ancient world as a, as a common picture of health, wealth, and vitality. As modern readers, readers rather, it is easy for us to miss here the significance that Jesus uses when he uses this metaphor. We need to understand the background. We need to understand specifically the Jewish use of this vineyard metaphor in the Old Testament. So turn with me. You'll see this clear in a minute. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Let me sing for my beloved. My, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and he hewed out a wine vat in it and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done for it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they, that they rain no more upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of the hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant offerings. 
and he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. In this text, Christ City, this is a, this context, this metaphor, the vineyard is employed as a description of disappointment and judgment. Turn with me to Psalm 80, verses 7 through 14. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade. The mighty cedars with its branches. It set out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls? So that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit. The boar from the forest ravages it and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine. And then we see Christ City in verse 19, we see this final cry. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Once again, we see a vineyard here. We see a nation of Israel. We see, we see a scene of disappointment, of judgment, and lament. God is the one who plants the vineyard. God is the one who lovingly cares for it. God is, the vine of, of, the, of, of this vineyard is Israel, and it has produced only wild grapes. Useless fruit. In Isaiah 5, we see God lamenting. In Psalm 80, we see Israel lamenting. To put it frankly, in many ways, in my struggle with faith, and my longing for an intimacy with God, I am exactly like this vine described in Isaiah 5 and Psalm 80. As Christians, we subconsciously, we don't actually verbalize this, but as subconsciously we think that we are superior to the people of the Old Testament, to Israel. But deep down, oh, our longing, it betrays that we are just like the nation of Israel. We, our lives, are wild grapes. For me, this is true, even though I believe in Jesus. So when we come to John 15 here, when we hear Jesus' words in John 15, verse 1, when he says, I am the true vine, we must understand that this statement, this wasn't a coincidence, this, Jesus, he didn't pull this out of thin air. We must understand this Old Testament background. We must say that the Jesus' announcement here is his glorious proclamation that he has come and re to, to restore all the unfulfilled lament of Psalm 80. Restore us, O Lord of hosts. Let your face shine upon us that we may be saved. No longer is Israel to be regarded as the vine. Jesus is. No longer is Israel to be under judgment. But rather, Jesus himself takes that judgment. Jesus announces that it is through him that Israel will be restored. It is through him, through the vine, that we as well might be saved. It is through him that we are to bear and produce food. The Lord of hosts sends his very son so, that the, so to be the vine so that we can be branches attached to the vine so that we can bear fruit that is not our own. So that we do not have to be relegated to wild, tasteless fruit. John 15, 4 and 5 says, Abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Unless it abides, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Profoundly, Jesus is saying that he is the source of life and restoration. It is in him that we are to bear fruit. 
It is in him that we are called to abide. And usually we stop there and we just kind of miss the, the next miraculous statement. We, we get caught up on the, oh, oh, now what do I got to do to abide? I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do this. When we get hung up on what we're supposed to do and we overlook a hugely significant statement. We miss the collective forest for the trees. Not, not, not only do we abide in him, Christ City, but hear me. Jesus says that he abides in us. Let that sink in. Jesus says he abides in us. Jesus says that, that as we abide in him, he abides in us. His life is in us. This is an intimacy that we long for. The God of the universe abides in us through Jesus. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you. Scholars refer to this profound mystery as union with Christ. Becoming a Christian is not just mental assent. It's not just agreement of lists of what we have to do or what we don't do. Being a Christian is not a list of ethics to live by either. Something that you, you, know, you ascribe to. It's not acumen. It's not spiritual exercises. But rather, becoming and being a Christian is to be grafted into God's own life. Becoming a branch connected to the vine. Abide in me and I in you. We participate in the very fellowship of God. Oh, people, that alone should stir your affections anew. It should stir your affections and give you hope. John Calvin, not usually quoted in these type of things, he says this very interestingly. First, we must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us, and we are separated from him, all that he has suffered and done for salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value to us. Therefore, he had to become ours and to dwell within us. Now, if you tune into this, even the Apostle Paul was fascinated by this idea of abiding in Jesus. The idea here of abiding in Paul, he uses this phrase throughout, you know, out of his lips in the books of Acts, is like in Christ, in Christ, being in Christ, in Christ. In his, in his epistle to the Galatians, it's probably the most clearly stated in chapter 2, verse 20. Hear this. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This is intimate. This is profound. Abiding in Christ, Christ City, in Paul, was having a life sourced in the person and work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the same Jesus who declares to us that he takes Israel judgment, the same Jesus who beckons us and says, abide in me and I in you. Paul says that it is through Jesus' death on the cross that we are grafted in to that vine. It's easy for me to quote that, easy for me to say, easy for me to preach, but it is a very profound thing and very different thing to actually experience that in your day-to-day -day life. It is a hugely wonderful mystery. To abide in Christ, therefore, means that you are in Jesus and that Jesus is in you. As we transition to point number two, hear the words, again, of John Calvin, probably one of the most rational thinkers of the Reformed era. Listen. For my part, 
I am overwhelmed by the depth of this mystery. And I am not ashamed to join Paul in acknowledging at once my ignorance and my admiration. Whatever is supernatural is clearly beyond our own comprehension. Let us therefore labor to feel Christ living in us rather than discover the nature of that interaction. Abiding for, in Christ is not an idea. It's not a theological construct to study, but a reality, a whole new state of being. So the question still remains then is why do we struggle? Why do we instantly aren't transported into this state of, of abiding? We still know that there's something more, more to it, don't we? 16th century Spanish nun, St. Teresa of Lia, profoundly puts our dilemma this way. Oh, listen to this brutal honesty here. She prays, Oh God, I don't love you. I don't even want to love you, but I want to want to love you. In this prayer, we come face to face with the problem we have with abiding. That problem is not with God. It rests solely on us. The problem is not with the efficacy of Jesus' work on the cross. The problem is not with him. No, central to the human condition is this thing called autonomy and our desire for power and control. I provide for myself all the time. I know what's best for Heath. I decide for myself. Yeah. How's that working during COVID? This rebellion, this is sin. This is sin. Abiding is hard because in order to feel this mystery of Christ, as Calvin suggests, means that we need to be crucified with Christ, as Paul states. To abide doesn't mean creating a robust set of spiritual disciplines to follow. To abide is to confess our autonomy and surrender wholly, wholly that we don't even want to do that. Calvin is right. Instead of feeling Instead of rather feeling Christ in us, we tend to, to discover the mechanics of how that happens. And we argue theologically of, of how this is done, or we just ignore it. Much of my life, I have given surrender, lip service to this kind of surrender. The hard truth is that I did not abide in Christ. The hard truth is that I was a withering branch. The hard truth is that I didn't even want to abide. Like St. Teresa, the only thing I could do was confess the reality that I wanted to want to abide. Christ City, we find it hard to surrender, don't we? We hang on, hang on to certain aspects of our life and we tuck them away, and by default, we choose autonomy. We're just like the vineyard in Isaiah 5, just like the vineyard in Psalm 80, wild fruit deserving of judgment. We need Jesus the vine to give us life. We want our cake and eat it too, don't we? We want, the, we want to experience Christ. That's what our longing describes we want that without abiding. We want that without surrender. Jesus summarizes this in, in verse 6 in chapter 15. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burnt. The problem of abiding is our autonomy. Abiding in Jesus, firstly, we need to take a step of faith. And secondly, we need to take a step of confession, just like St. Teresa, confessing that, oh God, I don't love you. I don't even want to love you, but I want to want to love you. So where does that leave us? That brings us to our, our third point, and how do we abide? 
Now, practically speaking, how am I going to explain in the next five minutes this incredible mystery of abiding? Something that, that, that rivers of ink have been spilled upon throughout the century. Something that, that whole libraries could fill. How am I going to introduce this topic to you? Well, I can't, really. I can't explain the nuts and bolts. I can't explain the great mystery. But what I would like to do is open the door and explain my journey and invite you to an ongoing conversation, a conversation with me so that we together as a church, as branches on this vine together, that in the months to come, that we can turn to Jesus, that we collectively as a group can confess our autonomy and we can be a vineyard, a vineyard not of wild grapes, but of of fruit. Many of you in the past year, during this COVID season have asked me, knowing that I'm super extroverted, asked me, how are you doing? How are you doing, Heath? How are you surviving? How are you dealing with this time being alone? And my answer has been the same then and it is the same now. I'm full of joy. Really, I'm full of joy. I'm doing really well. I've learned to self-feed. I'm doing really good despite the hardship. That has been my response and it still is. And my mistake though was thinking that that you knew what I actually meant by that. My answer of self-feeding does not refer to acumen in reading and studying the Bible but rather in my state of worship. I was referring to my union with Christ. My joy is sourced in a branch of being me connected to the vine that is Jesus. During COVID, this has been my reality. Despite death in my family, despite death of friends, despite destruction of close personal friends in their marriage and family members, despite my own kids not being with us at Christmas. My joy, my joy has displaced depression, isolation, and loneliness despite this hardship. As a branch connected to the vine, I have experienced in a small, minuscule way the words of John in verse 15 of our text this morning. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I've experienced that during this time. You might be saying, okay, Heath, that's fine for you, but how do I get there? How do I get there? Well, in the time that I have left, I would like to introduce you to two things. Two things to help start a conversation. One that will begin here and continue on. Two things that that 2021 will be the year of joy of abiding rather than COVID. So here they are. I would like us to look at the glory of God and sailing. Okay, you're thinking, what? You see, there came a point in my life where this longing for something deeper It was eclipsed by personal hardship and struggle. And to be clear, the hardship and the struggle was of my own doing. You see, I'd moved overseas, I was a missionary, and I realized that my tanks were empty. I was doing it all in my own steam. I was having conflict in my job, and it was killing me. I was a withering branch. So this hardship and this struggle, instead of, you know, being deafened over time, no, it actually acted as an amplifier to increase, exacerbate this feeling of of utter shame and emptiness. So one day I came across this verse in Paul's letter to the Colossians. Chapter 1, verses 25 and 20 through 27. I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. I'm thinking, okay, yeah, I can relate to that. Yeah, I'm here, I'm doing God's work. Yep, to make the word of God fully known. Okay, yep, I'm preaching the gospel. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Now I'm confused. 
to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Oh, in my desperation, I cried out, Lord, I'm a minister, but I do not have what Paul has. What, what is even that? What is that? What is this mystery? Lord, I want to see your glory. I want Christ in me. I want the hope of glory that Paul has. I want the hope that Paul describes here. And at my lowest of low, I confess my emptiness, and I became absolutely fascinated, obsessed with this idea of the glory of the Lord. In fact, I'm still there. Now, I have a journal here from that time. Usually I don't use props. But as I looked through these pages... On every single page in this book, it's, Lord, show me your glory. Lord, give me a double portion of your spirit. Lord, help me seek your face. I want you in me in my frenetic, desperate search for the glory of God. Almost by accident, my, my lament, my prayers, actually my prayer life grew. As I scoured the scriptures for resources on the glory of God, habits of study formed. As I sought the face of God in fasting, instead of a burden, there became joy there. There became a joy, and more prayer led to more joy, and I became more effective in it. Times of enforced solitude have become times of joy and of growth. This yearning to see and, and find the face and the glory of God, I learned like many before me, centuries before me, I learned how to feed myself spiritually, to abide in the vine. In reality, Christ City, I learned how to worship. My life has completely changed due to this fact. Christ in me, the hope of glory. That brings us to the sailing bit. Now, many of you know that I love to ride motorcycles. I, I love the speed, the exhilaration, the wind in my hair, so to speak, you know, metaphorically, because I have to wear a helmet. You know, I love the fact that you can break into hard corners and you could crack the throttle and accelerate out the other end with a sheer smile on my face. What you don't know about me is that I love to sail for exactly the same reasons. Unfortunately, the sailing you know, bit is a little bit different. It, quite frankly, it's a lot more work. Sailing is much more work. It takes time to sail. By the time, you know, if you get on your bike and you ride to Squamish and back, by the same time, you're not even off the dock yet. You've rigged the lines and you maybe have the sail ready to go. But what you also have to know is that as, as a novice, I could get on my bike and I could ride. When you sail, you're completely dependent on two things, the current and the wind. But more than that, you have to be skilled in the rigging. You have to, you have to know how to put up the sails. You have to know how to trim the sails. You have to know how to work the tiller. You have to read the depth sounder so you don't hit the shoals and shallow areas. You have to know how to read tide charts to know when it's dangerous to go and when, when it's not dangerous to go. All of this time, all of this takes time rather, and much needed, much needed practice. You can't just step onto a sailboat as a novice and go to, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sail to Hawaii. You do that, you die. There's books written about people who've done that. The only way I can describe this ongoing process of abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in you is the exchange that happens when you sail. Prayer. Meditation, fasting, solitude, worship, all of these things are like trimming the sails, capturing the wind at its best, navigating the shoals of life in Christ. The glory, 
The glory of the Lord, the glory of God that Paul talks about is the prevailing wind. It's the prevailing wind in our sails. It's, it's our orientation. These spiritual disciplines, though, help us abide. They help us, help us to set up the sail right so that you can go straight into the eye of a hurricane or navigate the doldrums of life in Christ. Now, for many of us, these spiritual disciplines are drudgery, and they're painful. We don't see the purpose because, you know what, we're like, we, like, we want to be on the motorcycle. We want to crack the throttle and on our own steam, hit it full speed. This morning, I invite you to confess and surrender that autonomy and that desire for that. I invite you to surrender that to Jesus. I invite you with me to step off the dock and sail. Chris City, I realize that there is, there is so much more I could say about this. But today I invite you to take my hand. Take my hand so that we can see and seek the face of the Lord together. So that we can abide in Christ and Him in us. Christ City, will you sail with me? Let's learn to sail together. So I leave you with the words of an old song that beautifully encapsulates this mystery of being in Christ. It's by a guy who died in a, in a crash not long after this. Oh Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I seek. For when your eyes are on this child, your grace abounds to me. Let's pray. God, we confess to you that we are wholly inequipped to set sail. We confess that we don't want to sail. We don't want to get off the docks. We just want to sit in the boat and pretend. So Lord, I ask that you would, would cause us to, to confess our sin, to see, to open up, up so that we can see how beautiful you are and so that our, our desire would to be to seek your face. So Lord, I ask that you would give us strength to abide in you. And Lord, I ask that you would give us your grace that comes when, we, when you abide in us. So Lord, this we bring before you, by your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for watching our Sunday Sermon video. Before you go, if you're watching this by yourself and you consider Christ City Church to be your home, why not join us on Zoom next week? You can click on the link in the description below. Also, if you usually give to Christ City at a Sunday gathering, then in this season you can give by clicking on the link in the description. Lastly, if you have kids and you haven't yet watched the Christ City Kids video, you can watch it right here. Have a great week, Christ City.